welcome to the Mental Health Bootcamp Podcast. This is a podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, serve you cutting edge mental health knowledge. I am Dr. Ryan Howes, an elf in Pasadena, California. That's funny. And I'm Dr. Brooke Lewis, a Canadian goose from Coquitlam. Uh, and I'm, I'm Joanna Boyd. I am uh, a little gnome up here in the north. I'm Chris Boyd, penguin from uh, Coquitlam. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, that was great, Ryan. I literally was just thinking, like, oh, I'm going to say I'm a Canadian goose. And then you went with an elf. It was yeah. like, that was amazing. Energy. Wow, well done, because that was really good, Brooke. I was like, oh my gosh, that was seamless for her. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was really on my mind. It was it was a, a, a pre, it was a, yeah, definitely an unannounced ambush there, but you guys rolled with it beautifully. That's awesome. Welcome, gnomes and animals and all sorts of different creatures out there. Uh, yeah, we're closing in on the holidays here, so... We uh, just started watching a movie, A Boy Named Christmas, on Netflix. Mm. I don't know this one. It's kind of good so far. It's uh, intriguing. I'm interested to see what's going to happen. So it's like um, a boy and his father, and the father leaves to like save the kingdom by finding uh, an element of hope from like... the land of the elves but nobody really believes in the land of the elves so he sets off on this like winter trek and then the boy wants to follow him and he has this little pet mouse and his name's Nicholas um yeah so it's about his journey like wandering through the forest and going on this journey to find the land of the elves to find his father and to wow. bring back hope and uh yeah it's called a boy named Christmas is it is it animated no no I was wondering how they get this this mouse to do its thing, say its lines, you know? It, it does speak. The elf speaks. Oh boy. Yeah, it's a bit of a curveball. I wasn't expecting yeah, that to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. It's like Princess Bride-esque because there's a grandmother reading the story, taught, sharing oh. the story with the kids. Sure. But um, yeah, boy, boy named Nicholas, find the land of the elves. I have no idea how this is going to pan out. Yeah. Hmm. Genuinely, there's kind of like a mean elf. So I said that, the, and the mean elf is like shutting down all the elf fun. So I was like, oh, we should name her Omicron. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. She had like a, an interesting looking hat. So she's like, no dancing, no fun, no this, that. Uh, so I was like, Omicron. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Stealing all the Christmas joy. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see about that Christmas joy that will make an appearance this year. It will. It already yeah. has. Okay. It already has. That's good. People have rejoiced. The spirit of giving. Joanna is doing her annual sock drive. Sock drive? Yeah. Um, seven years ago, um, yeah, I just kind of put it out there to people and started collecting uh, socks for the homeless. So. I collect new pairs of socks and um, 
yeah, I've been doing it for seven years now. So I go down and give them out. Last year I wasn't able to give them out because of COVID. So we'll see what I'll do this year. But yeah, it's great. How many, how many pairs of socks do you year. think? Pardon? How many pairs of socks do you think? Uh, gosh, it's varied. Uh, it could be anywhere. Usually, I think the first year, second, oh, a few years in, my biggest year was like, like 500 pairs of socks. Um, but it's typically around 200. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome, Joe. I, I learn new things about you all the time. I had known you forever and I didn't know this about you. I did not know you had a, a sock charity thing going. That's so cool. Yep. So I'm still, still collecting socks and uh, donations. And then I, I also get, yeah, where the donations go buy a bunch of socks just in case people can't actually get physical socks to me. So yeah, it's been really great. Lots of support over the years. So it's, uh, it's fun. That's awesome. Is there, is, should this be a plug? Is there some way that people could give you money? Uh, just want to oh, hunt there... you down and give you money? We'll, uh, we'll, we'll think about that. Maybe okay. Information for this podcast. We'll see. But... Yeah. Okay. Maybe next year we can figure something out there. Yeah, because it's just my personal email where people send money to. So oh, okay. Think about that and maybe be prepared for next year. All right. That's that's great. I'm sure there would be people who, who would love to help out with that. Um, that's really cool. And I guess used socks are not really part of the, that really wouldn't work out. You know what? The very first year I collected uh, used and new, and it just felt weird donating new socks. Mm-hmm. giving them out you're just like i don't know socks are so yeah I don't unless know. they're yeah you almost felt insult like insulting to be like here's some new sock like i think everyone deserves a nice yeah. pair of socks and warm socks so after that first year it's like no only new so yeah. good idea I think that's pretty smart right like yeah. who doesn't love a new pair of socks it's like getting new carpet it's just so like squishy on the feet Mm -hmm. nice and warm and squishy and what a delight well, the weird thing is joanna wore all the socks so all the socks were donated to her she had to test them out and then she gave them up so wore them as uh, mittens yeah sock puppets mm -hmm. you, you you had to do a little quality control testing so you just put out each of them on oh. yeah joanna you're kind of muted right now oh yeah. really oh yeah. here, Yes, sorry. I don't know. Did you say you were rubbing them on your face? I don't know. I was just going along with the whole testing them out. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. You saw my hand moving. <laughs> see if they're soft or not. No, none of that. But yeah, no, it's great. So lots of nice um, places and causes out this time of year. I think a lot of people are in the giving spirit. So there's never yeah. a shortage of, you know, yeah, organizations that need help. Absolutely. Year round, really. We should really do like a Christmas in June or July or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yes. Um, last week we talked about lying, and I told you I was going to read some of our book, some of our, our book club book, The Sibling Effect. And I did. I didn't lie to you. I did read some of the book. And liking it so far, we were just discussing that a little bit earlier. So we're going to be talking about that book the next time we do a podcast, right? Yeah, next week. So I have the book, haven't opened the book. I'm going to power read the book. 
this week because you know it's not busy at all the week before christmas and trying to finish up all the client things i'm gonna get her done okay yeah i've gone in you can do it yeah well it's i think it's a, an interesting read so hopefully that helps you to uh to power through even faster. Mm -hmm. If I get into it, I think it'll only take me like half a day, like a yeah. few hours. Wow. Right through it. Are you that quick a reader? I'm, I'm a super slow reader. I can be. Yeah. Depending on the flow of the book. And if my brain's kind of just in the zone and picking up what's going on, if I, yeah, then it's not a problem. I fly through them. Wow. Other books take forever like if it just doesn't catch my interest or if it's not written in a way that flows really well or the language is unfamiliar that yeah then it takes a, a while but yeah mm -hmm. well, I think this one will flow for you good well good okay uh anything else going on in people's lives than a boy named Christmas no? Other than that? There's a boy named Chris right here. That's all. That's ah, good one, Joe. That is good. All I got. <laughs> that is good. You're just a little delusional today. That's all. A little bit. I'm a little tired, folks. That's okay. That's it. Go closer. Well, shall I send the ambush? Let us do the ambush, our topic for the evening. Brooke knows what it is. The three of us do not. And she's going to send it across the border. Right now. Traveling from the North Pole to Southern California. Let me copy and paste this. I have it in the same note as my Costco list. So I hope I'm copying and pasting the correct information. Okay. Uh, paste, send. Sending. Okay, here we go. Uh, five rolls of toilet paper, <laughs> uh, four gallons of tomato sauce, <laughs> three dozen socks for Joe's thing. I, I think this is your Costco, Costco. list. Shoot. Try it again. Okay, let's take a look here. All right, the ambush. Okay, ready? Here it is. What role do medical conditions and or injuries have on mental health? For example, chronic illness, chronic illness, concussion, cancer, sports injury, etc. What role do medical conditions have on mental health? Yep. So this is kind of prompted a little bit. Uh, Chris has been talking about this pain book that he really likes. So that, but not really chronic not centering on chronic pain. And then recently I had read the book Between Two Kingdoms, which is about a gal that was diagnosed with cancer and her journey through that. And then what life is like post-cancer. Um, I also have a friend that is a pediatric oncologist that works in um, cancer with cancer survivors, so long-term care. And um, and then I also have done a good amount of work with like ICBC clients and just a client this week has come in with uh, a sport injury, concussions come up a lot. Yeah. 
So or uh, autoimmune. What's ICBC? Uh, yeah, what's ICBC? Oh, so that is our car insurance monopoly company. Car insurance? So every, yeah. So everyone here in BC, uh, their cars are insured through ICBC. So, so there is no other company. So if there's an accident or they, it's usually motor vehicle accidents. So they yeah. come and uh, get support counseling. Yeah. So anything doing with an MBA or if you're a pedestrian that gets hit or um, anything like that. Yeah, yeah, sport injury comes up a lot. Concussions come up a lot. For me, at least, it seems. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and then like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome comes up a decent amount for women. Um, Certainly. Or other medical conditions. Yeah, there's just, I feel like it's a piece that we need to talk about in the counseling room to understand the context of a client. So thought maybe we could just have a discussion about it. That sounds great. I was just mentioning to you guys before, I've, you know, I've known some people, some, some clients of mine and, and other folks who have had COVID multiple times. And that definitely makes, give, has an impact on their mental health, you know, yeah. the stress of it all and just the strain. Yep. So I'm, I'm all for it. What role do medical conditions and or injuries have on mental health? Yeah. Well, where should we dive in? I don't even know where to start. Part of me wanted to only talk about concussions because I feel like they have such uh, a major, major impact, especially if it's multiple concussions or a very severe concussion. Um, but I felt that was a little too neat niche for sure. and a disclaimer before we get into anything obviously none of us are medical professionals so we're not really going to talk about medically what's happening with the person just how it might be changes that we might see in our clients after they receive a diagnosis or an injury for sure um i also work with a lot of clients who've been in car accidents or or sometimes workplace injuries and um or athletes as well and Concussions are tricky, right? Because it impacts everyone so differently and um, can can manifest itself in so many different ways. But there's also so much we don't know about it. Like it's, uh, you know, we coordinate or, or collaborate with uh, doctors and physiotherapists and, and uh, often people have different approaches to assisting people with concussions. So I find that that's a, kind of a tough one for clients to grapple to because Based on my understanding, there's no one way of, of, of dealing with that, right? No, and, and the research is still so, so new about concussions uh, and treatment and recovery from, so that I think that makes it really difficult, right? Yeah, so the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we work with our clients when it comes to how um, they interpret the injury, and of course, it can lead to a lot of uncertainty, um, how it's going to impact their um, their life, their ability to engage in life moving forward. So it could be a lot of anxiety there and a huge sense of loss, of course. Um, so yeah, concussions are, can be a, a difficult one to, to respond to, right? I think there's been a bit of a, of a recurring theme this, uh, the tail end of this year on the Mental Health Bootcamp podcast, and that is of the mind-body connection. Um, you know, we talked about this is your brain on food. That was one of our most recent books. And we talked about health anxiety, what that 
what that's like. And now talking here about how um, physical illness uh, or uh, injury can impact someone's mental health. And, and I think, you know, in, in summary, <laughs> the mind and body are connected. There's, there's, it's, a, it's a feedback loop. You know, our bodies uh, impact the way that we feel, our feelings impact our body. And those are, that loop is, is continuous. Uh, oftentimes we, we can go along unaware of how that loop is, is happening. Some people would say, oh no, the physical body is one thing and the mind is another. But honestly, we just know more and more that that's, there is this continuous feedback, you know, even from the neurotransmitters being formed in the gut to, uh, you know, to how we respond physiologically when we're anxious or, or sad or angry or whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, to bring this is, uh, this topic up, Brooke is, is great because obviously from what everything that we follow, we've been talking about, um, it would naturally follow that, of course, there's going to be a, an impact on someone's mental state or their mood uh, when confronted with a physical injury. The, the interesting part, the compounding and confounding at times part, as you're talking about concussions is, you know, the place where we, the, the injury is to the place where we sense and perceive uh, emotions and, and injury in our brain. And that can distort things sometimes, or that can make people feel um, even worse. So uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of ground to cover. That's why I was like, gosh, where should we start? Cause we could talk about all sorts of different things that uh, impact people in different ways. And again, we're not medical professionals, but speaking as folks who have certainly seen uh, a lot of uh, a lot of this in our practices and in our own personal lives, uh, I think we can all attest to the fact that the two are connected, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And it, Ryan, just on that feedback loop, as you were talking about that, I was um, kind of thinking about as well, like how that feedback loop obviously keeps going. But I think sometimes for people and clients, people in general, I'm sure I would do this as well. I'm sure I have done this. But after an injury, there's like a period of adjustment. But the way that you're, you need to adjust to then accommodate life, there's a a series of ripple effects to that. So the impact, while the physical injury, like I think sometimes clients or people see the physical, the injury as a, a single incident, but the ripple of that impact then impacts us again and again and again and again. So for example, if you hurt your knee and you see that as like a single incident, yes, I hurt my knee, and you go through physio and you do that piece, but then maybe a year later, uh, you're not able to do a big hike with friends that you would usually do. That injury then impacts you again yeah, and you might not necessarily think about it, or you're not able to garden mm. because you need to adapt, or you're able to garden, but you need to do that with adaptations. That injury is impacting your life again. So there's almost like these micro, I don't want to call them injuries, but adjustments that need to happen. And I think that's part of that ongoing feedback loop. But when we say I had a knee injury in 2017, you view it as a single incident. Does that sort of make sense what I'm saying there? Yeah, but I think it also depends, I think, whether you're able to fully heal from that, right? Absolutely. Because you might, your knee 
you know, some people are able to really regain full use or knee is back healthy again, but sometimes it might be a lot weaker. Like yes. I, I hurt my ankle pretty bad in soccer ages ago and it kind of, I rolled it, chipped the bone and that ankle is always the one that's first, like I'm always rolling that one or it seems it's weaker or I get pain in that ankle still. So it's, um, you do your best to heal, but sometimes you can't fully, yeah, get to that point again. So totally these little reoccurring things little reminders mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then uh, if we're just talking sports injuries I, I find interesting how a lot of the injuries people have are caused because they're compensating for something else right like oh, joe yeah. your your ankle injury maybe as a as a result you you like tend to be walking gingerly or, or use that a little less and then use your other foot even more for kicking or jumping or whatever that might be and then that one gets injured because you're overstraining it, you know? Yeah, they're compensating. Yeah, yeah. I think there's going to be certain injuries, depending on, you know, if there's a person who is an avid hiker and really depended, or an athlete that really depended on, you know, and the, an injury could sideline them. And that could, you know, have a pretty big impact on their mental health if their livelihood or something they're passionate mm-hmm. about is, is unable to happen now. And then, you know, there's the injuries like the concussions, and depending what that looks like for you, but there's a few people in our lives who have pretty bad headaches on a daily basis because of concussions. And it's that inescapable pain. They can't escape. They can't, it's just constant. And you know, you take medication, it doesn't really do anything. So I think that is hard for people when they feel like they're trapped in themselves a bit, or you can't, this is gonna be there forever. This will never end. I won't ever be able to not feel this way. And I think that takes its toll on people for sure. So yeah. yeah. I think uh, fear as well. There's a lot of underlying fear that intensifies and magnifies that pain, right? Totally. Uh, so back to the mind body connection, I think is a mind body problem. We have this amazing advanced mind of ours, but it can also work against us in situations like that. Uh, hmm. so this you're saying the fear causing causing more problems because how, how does fear cause you problems other than- yeah it's like that that feedback loop right so the fear you're like um you might be afraid that you're never going to heal from this injury right and the fear intensifies make it worse yeah right like that intensifies like that yeah. can intensify the pain the pain intensifies the fear and around and around you go you know so the mind's a very powerful thing. Sometimes, you know, it could be um, our, our mental state, our mental health can can sometimes help alleviate that pain. But I'm sure in some cases it can help uh, intensify it too, right? So John Kabat-Zinn, who brought a lot of the ideas of mindfulness to the Western world, he has a pain clinic in Boston. And he uh, does a lot of mindfulness practices to help people with chronic pain, right? Yeah. So... It's, it's your reaction to the pain. So the whole idea of radical acceptance, like the pain is there, um, but if you are irritated by it, if you're frustrated by it, if you're fearful of it, then that could potentially intensify, right? This brings up a good point here that, uh, that we may discuss at some point in the future regarding pain and treatment of pain, which is 
this idea that a lot of people that there are there are treatments for like psychological treatments for pain that have been shown to be effective for folks. Um, but there's a real reluctance for some people to utilize those those services because they're afraid that that's if they do that, then the, what that's saying is it's all in your head. Your pain isn't real. It's just all in your head and you're making it up or or something like that. Yeah. Where. And, and again, we may talk about this with an expert before too long, but uh, there's certainly a lot of evidence to show, no, the pain is, is real. There's, there's actually a physical pain going on, but the management of it or your experience of it can change a bit if you use some of these other techniques, right? Yeah, it's a, the term I think is called neuroplastic pain. So um, there's a theory out there that uh, the body is very resilient and, and should heal in due course from various injuries. What can sustain that pain is this whole idea that the brain adapts and learns. So the pain is real. Like if you're experiencing pain, it's pain. But the source of that pain is what we're trying to focus on and shift and change. So, yeah, Brooke mentioned this book, uh, The Way Out, which I have encouraged. I think that will probably hopefully be our next uh, book club book because it's intriguing stuff that we'll kind of go into that in more detail, but there's been some, some pretty amazing things happening in terms of helping people heal, actually heal chronic pain. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm. So if it's all right, can I shift from chronic pain a bit to maybe loss of identity or like, it, it, yeah, just kind of going back to um, injuries that take away pieces of the person where they would have identified him. I'm, I'm thinking of this client that I saw earlier this week and he competed very much in martial arts and there was an injury years ago and not being able to get back to that. And, um, but he still views himself like he, he is an athlete. That is who he is. And that's part of his identity, but he's not able to engage in those behaviors. And then, uh, for years, like six years maybe at this point. And then another client who was in a motor vehicle accident athlete as well, or definitely viewed herself as very athletic and active and um, high performing and like volleyball teams and all the rest of it. And then this car accident really did a number. She had multiple injuries and still healing. And um, so there is the chronic pain piece, but for these two clients specifically, and probably many more, this, the, the loss of identity and the loss of their natural or chosen ways of coping were taken away. So for both of these clients, if they were having a stressful week or whatever, they could take it out in their sport or in their training. That is where their um, social network was. That's where they released energy. There was so much to that. And it was, they're not able to do that anymore. Yeah, it kind of robs them of that, uh, their coping mechanisms that they've relied on for so long, right? Yes, or even yeah. um, another client with some severe injuries. Uh, she wasn't an athlete, but she is a parent. And she felt because of the severity of her injuries, she wasn't able to parent how she wanted to. So obviously, she still is a mother, but she wasn't the expectations of herself as a mother or what she thought she would be doing had to, they were drastically altered where instead of her giving care to her child, her child then needed to help care for her. Yeah. Um, and there was, there's a big shift there. So I'm, I'm curious if you guys have encountered that as well or your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, for sure. I would encounter that a lot with uh, the clients. It's um, often it shows up as depression, right? Because that mm -hmm. sense of loss in terms of how you used to live your life, what you found meaningful and purposeful in life has been drastically shifted and it's outside of their control, which is very upsetting, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so, always traumatizing because we've, I've talked to these clients about potentially, you know, going and still being engaged in that world, but maybe in a different way. So can you be a coach or can you still attend some of the social events, but there's so much hurt that they're not able to be part of the team as they used to, that there's almost a rejection to being involved at all. So they would rather in some ways try and find something brand new than to re-engage into that world in a different role. More specifically, obviously for athletics, not parenting. Yeah, a good point. Yeah, so I, I think um, a lot of grief, right? how life used to be. And what I find too, with a lot of clients um, is that they're measuring sick remains the same. So they start to yeah. they keep on comparing themselves to how life was before the injury, right? Yeah. There's and a pre-injury, post-injury. There's like yeah. a worker. So we often talk about the whole idea of metrics, right? How those metrics have to shift to what life is like post uh, injury. And oddly enough, like the amount of effort and courage and strength it takes to do what they do post-injury um, is remarkable, but they're not meeting that same level of what they deem as success because those metrics are off a bit, right? Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes those metrics as well, like I'm just thinking um, are, are outcome instead of process in some ways, or like, yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Like I've had clients go through physiotherapy and, um, Technically, they're like stronger and more active than they were pre-injury, but because they're not competing in the sport they were, it's almost like it doesn't matter, even though their body is actually uh, like more trained. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Maybe, maybe it's more than just their physical health. Yeah. It was the skill or was the competing or proving something or just working towards something, setting a goal, you know, like having, like you said. Yeah. Part of identity. Yeah. Big time. And also like um, a lot of clients, like the injuries, you can't really tell the person's injured if you see them. So they often talk about that too. They feel judged because they can't do things as effectively as they did before. Mm -hmm. They almost wish they can hold a sign saying, Hey, I'm in a lot of pain. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have clients often talk about that, how people just don't get it. They don't understand well, intensively, right? Yeah. And another difficult element to this all is there's a lot of self-blame. Like we call it personalizing or internalizing it, right? They think that they're defective. So they, they start to identify with the injury. Instead of this is something that happened to me, they say, well, it's my fault, right? Because it happened to them. Which can be yeah. Really there's there's an interesting Brooke as you're talking about that the identity piece I'm thinking of there's there's an interesting line to try to toe a little bit here where on the one hand we need to come to an acceptance of the injury especially if it's something permanent or something that will take a long long time to heal there has to be acceptance of that but Chris as you're talking about there's that's different than really identifying with that like I am my injury or I am the or I I, I failed at whatever xyz so that's why I'm, I'm this way um 
you know, there's a self that's, that's deeper and, and that's beyond someone's physical abilities. Um, but I know that that, especially for, for someone where that had been highly prized part of themselves, something they really cherished that, that, uh, it's different. I also want to speak just quickly because I, I watched a bit of the, um, the, the Paralympic games, um, this summer and, you know, just, just like with the regular Olympics, they're always doing kind of profiles of the athletes and talking about where they came from and how they got into their sport and that sort of thing. And for a lot of the folks, they were highly accomplished athletes who did get injured. Um, the highly accomplished able-bodied athletes who then became injured oftentimes had to go through this, this very process of loss and grief and then decided, you know, I really just, I missed the competition. I missed the, the working and the improving and the striving. And so they kind of found their sports and, and kind of dove into that as far as uh, on, on a different level now with a different, uh, with different abilities and a different body, but they just missed the com competitive parts. And that's, that's something that people can still do. It might not be like you say, Chris, not with the same metrics, but it's something that they can still enjoy and, and, and find some pride and kind of doing the best with, with the body to have. Right. Yeah. So Ryan, yes, I agree with you about, um, just going to circle back a, a little bit prior to what you were saying about the Paralympics, but, hmm. uh, the deeper sense of self. Mm -hmm. And I think that's extremely important. And that's definitely a conversation I have with my clients who have gone through a a major medical diagnosis or an injury of some sort. Uh, and I'm going to bring up Adler because I'm pretty sure it's an Adlerian saying that you are a human being, not a human doing, right? And so your behaviors, what you're doing in the world, like how, like that sport or that thing, that's what you're doing, but who you are as a person is your human being. And we want to take a look at that. What are your values and your morals and your beliefs? And how are you interacting with the world and finding passion and meaning? And, and that's more than behavior. And, and there's a lot to work with there. Yes, there's loss, but there's a lot of opportunity as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was Adler. Am I right, Joe? Do you remember that quote at all? I know that sounds familiar. Um, I, I can't, I cannot um, say if it was Adler, but I do, I have heard that. So. Yeah. Didn't Adler actually create human beings on, on day six? <laughs> the sixth day? No? Just there in the crowd watching. He was just like, oh, okay. Good. Yeah. Encouraging people, right? He was encouraging them. Yeah. Just a bit of an inside joke that, uh, Mark and Joanna are Adlerians. They went to the Adler School of Professional Psychology. And uh, anything, any monumental thing that happens or has happened in the psychology field, uh, they point out that Adler came up with that. So. We could do a whole podcast about why Adler will never die because everything happening in the world of psychology could be related back down to Adler. I would love to hear the Adlerians take on the psychodynamic therapist here. Um, we agree Freudian over there I go yeah Freud trained to Adler right yeah that's right so where did it really begin who knows uh I like what you're talking about there Brooke with the sense of self and and honestly that's something that that we can encounter with people 
even when there hasn't been an injury or an illness, right? People who are highly identified with their work or highly identified with their car or their, you know, music playing ability or something like that. There, there can be a bit of a crisis in there because if that does start to break down or something's go, don't go uh, according to plan there, then, uh, then they feel lost. Well, who am I without my, without my job? Who am I without my, uh, you know, ability to play the piano really well, whatever that might be. And, and yeah, when we can help people ground instead of in what they do and instead of, instead of to who they really are at their core um uh, i think that's a more stable grounding isn't it i agree yeah i think there's a lot of um misplacement of self or i don't know a better way to really say that i'm with you on that i think it happens a lot i think there's a lot of underdeveloped self out there that's just kind of grabbed onto something and identified with it and it's you know, there's like a little codependency happening between whatever yourself has grabbed onto. And, and then when that gets removed, we really see it. And whether that's medical stuff or psychological or trauma or retirement or who knows, right? Mm-hmm. We realize, did you ever really find out who you are? Yeah. I think there's also a component just outside the identity piece. I think depending what's going on, but just the, just the, I don't know, the day-to-day of living with something like whether an injury or um, if you find out after all these tests and things that, I don't know, even you're celiac or you have Crohn's disease or there's a polycystic, like it's not just about pain, but it could be, wow, okay, I'm now unable to do something like, or I have to eat a certain way or, or the, I'm, yeah, you're feeling limited or out of control. And I think just the, mm-hmm. having to deal with that on a outside the pain and um, yeah, just that ongoing, I think that could take its toll in different ways as well. A why me is not fair, or it could just be this, it just is stressful. They might lose, you know, sleep might be affected and it might just be like, I now have to alter what I'm doing. I don't know. That's a really good one. Yeah. Just that element of control and how some, like you're, you're going to feel like, your choices aren't in your control mm-hmm. almost like I have to do this because I can't eat bread because I'm celiac mm-hmm. when it's you can eat bread but you will be very sick yeah so you're choosing not to eat it because you want to feel well mm-hmm. yeah or just getting you know dealing with things that go undiagnosed or that you know you might be really tired all the time or you might uh or even with some people with Crohn's disease, they have to have colostomy bags and just that inconvenience and, and that kind of affecting, yes. you know, might affect their self-esteem or they might just, just the inconvenience or this feeling like a, who knows, there's probably a, a wide range of how people respond to those things. But I think there's just so many different types of illnesses or injuries yeah. or um, mm-hmm. medical ones anyway. Yeah. I've, got a, I've got a little parenting anecdote for this one. And, and I want to you know, recognize that this, this condition that I experienced with one of my kids is nothing compared to what a lot of people have to experience, but it was, it was a real deal for the time being. My, my son, who was seven at the time, um, was out on the playground running around and there was like a, like a tetherball uh, post and he turned around really quick and ran right into it, bonk. And, and his tooth, it was, it was the, one of his front teeth just cut in half boom. And, um, 
there was some pain, but it was just mostly the fact that half of his tooth was gone. It was a permanent tooth. It had just, it had just grown in, right? And I got a call from the school and he was in the nurse's office and, uh, and I said, and they told me what happened. And I was talking on the phone and he said, dad, it, will it grow back? And I had to say, no, buddy, I'm sorry. It's not going to grow back, but we'll get it fixed up and we'll make it as, as, you know, look as good as possible and hardly notice the difference. And sure enough, the dentist did a great job and, and put it back, but it really, as, as a parent, it kind of hit me like, wow, that is, that's a lot. It's, it's a little piece of tooth, but that's a loss that will be with him for the rest of his life. He'll, he'll never be able to eat, never be able to eat an apple the way that people with, with, you know, their natural healthy teeth can eat an apple. And just that, that sort of little touch of, of mortality and, uh, you know, the, the idea that, oh man, this is a loss that he's going to experience on some degree. And it's minor compared to, again, a lot of things, but on some degree, he's going to experience that for the rest of his life. That, that hit me, uh, in a big way, probably more than it hit him. <laughs> Cause he was, yeah. you know, he, again, a couple of days later, he had, had his tooth, tooth filled in, everything looked fine and, and he's been fine ever since. But it's like, wow, that's, that is a big loss. Yeah, you bring up a really good point that when there's someone who's injured, there's also uh, family members and, and people that might be also impacted by that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, may need to have to adapt and help support that individual who's struggling. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a ripple, it can be a bit of a ripple effect there. Oh, yeah, even like, teenage client learning she's celiac she can't you know she couldn't go out trick-or-treating with her friends because she is just like she can't eat any of the candy and things like that or the parent now has to be very cautious of what's in the home and making meals that are appropriate like it is kind of that ripple out effect a bit and at some point there's going to be just some adjusting and I'm sure she'll get used to that and that a bit of that oh this is this sucks right now um it'll just be second nature to her right so I know there's different um there's, there's different varieties of things out there, but that's just one example of how people, yeah, dealing with that and adjusting to life. Sure. Yeah. And then again, the ripple effect that has on the person who's injured, because I've seen this a lot too, where they feel like a burden mm-hmm. because everyone, you know, they're impacting those around them. And, and again, when you feel, when you're injured and, and you can get hit those, negative thoughts and, and those uh, feelings and sensations, and they can get pretty negative, nasty, right? So again, trying to separate yourself from that a bit, and that keep on going back to the, that sense, that deeper sense of self, right? Because those negative thoughts pop into your mind doesn't mean that they're the truth or rational or logical. Great points. So, so we've talked about some of the, the biology of this, the kind of the mind-body connection and how there's the feedback loop. And then, uh, of course, some emotional pieces to this, kind of having to come to an acceptance without, uh, and, and grief that might be taking place and, and uh, grief and loss. And then certainly a, an interpersonal component to it as well, you know, how, how it impacts someone socially. Can't go trick-or-treating or someone has to help me change my colostomy bag and you know, whatever that might be. That's just something that's kind of an ongoing process as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and we, I guess we keep coming back to this idea of the sense of self and how we're really trying to help people uh, 
ground themselves in something other than what they do or what their bodies can do even. And it's great when someone can accomplish something, but you're, but you're also more than that. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I, I, oh, go ahead. No, I'm, I was going to shift it a little bit. So if you have something on the sense of self, Chris. Well, I just wanted to, to speak just a bit more about the, uh, the social connection pieces. Okay. Um, yeah. Compassion is a powerful thing. So a lot of, you know, it can actually uh, build stronger connections among people when there's an injury in the family. So I just want to hit home the fact that if you feel like a burden doesn't actually mean that people feel that you're a burden, right? Just wanted to clarify that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And then I was, uh, yeah, I was going to shift it just slightly to also mention sometimes these things will then later on or more immediately um, kind of manifest itself into potentially some anxiety or depression, right? So if that loss is ongoing, then that can look like depression symptoms. Um, or if something has happened there, yeah, there, there might be some fear as well, right? Like, so some social anxiety might come up. How, what might other people think of me? What might my friends think? Family members, are they going to look at me differently? Are they going to judge me? Um, or anxiety towards the situation that generated the change, um, or anxiety, health anxiety, uh, or anxiety about other things. So I'm thinking more like PCOS and, well, will I ever be able to have children? How is, does this impact my fertility? And how does, and I think, or thinking about the caregivers, if there's anxiety for their children or the people that they love, will they ever have a fulfilling and meaningful life? And so there's other mental health pieces that come out of this as well, right? Absolutely. Uh, or OCD type tendencies, which is probably not OCD, but more anxiety of now I need to do these safety behaviors to make sure nothing else happens. Yeah. 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 If you felt like what you, what you, what happened to you was a result of risky behavior, then you may really dial that back uh, so that you don't want to put yourself in that kind of risk ever again. Right. Mm hmm which could really make your life small. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors there and, you know, a lot that, uh, a lot, a lot of things can happen, uh, of course, after an injury. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the anxiety, anticipating harm and danger and the avoidance and that can generalize and that sense of loss. And but of course, there's always ways to, to see that post-traumatic growth or that post-injury growth as well, right? To tap into that resiliency and, shift those metrics and recreate your life like there's um a lot of people that get injured who you know that's a bit of a, a turning point for them no doubt but a lot of good things happen after right and it's about the openness and curiosity to explore that for sure yeah there's lots of ways to to help navigate through that situation and it's not and, easy uh, yeah i don't want to oversimplify it of course so anxiety and depression, all those things could become prevalent, but not always the case. Um, it's also a lot of that growth and resiliency. Um, yeah, I was, um, I'm just thinking about that book, the Between Two Kingdoms. Uh, and so the author, the first half of the book, it was about her, her journey through cancer treatment and what a journey, my goodness. And then the second half, she uh, was in remission and she took herself on a road trip 
around the States. And because while she was in the hospital, she had started a blog about her treatment and people ended up, it really, it took off and people started writing her. So she went to go visit some of the people that wrote to her. So these like strangers and here she was, you know, going off and she had to get medical clearance and all the rest of it. Um, but it started to become very apparent to her. One of the people that wrote to her and had mentioned it and she agreed that uh, like it's, it's very hard to go through the treatment but there's a whole different battle when you're done and you have to learn how to live again amongst these people who haven't gone through anything like that. And, and for her, part of that was the ongoing anxiety, dare I use that word for it, but um, where any ache or pain, because she had gone through this for so long that it was, is this a signal that I'm getting sick again? Is there were numerous times if she were to get a head cold, she ends up back in the ICU just because through the cancer treatment, her immune system was shot. So protection from germs or uh, yeah, just those little red flags of, am I safe? Am I not safe? Am I going to land back in the ICU or, you know, just these different things. And so, uh, yeah, I thought that was a really, it was really moving or important, I think, to read about that and that type of experience and how you can feel so detached from other people because you're kind of living in this separate reality. You're living in a different kingdom you're between two kingdoms, right? Cool. Sounds like a great book. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's any mental bootcamp podcast fans in Hawaii, please write to us and we'll come uh, visit you. <laughs> we will also it? go on a road trip by road trip. We mean flying trip to go see you. That's that would be fun. Hawaii or gosh, anywhere. We could just do a road show of the boot camp and drive around in all the states. What do you say? Iceland? We could certainly go to Iceland. I'd love to go there. Or I think we're also big in where are we big? We're big in some places in Europe. Our stats today. I'm not no, sure. no. Um yeah, Brooke, I, I like the the thinking there, um, yeah, a lot of people who are able to kind of adapt to that, and and I think it was, I think it was Winnicott. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong on this one, Chris, since you tend to come up with quotes. But I think it was Winnicott who said that the uh, the greatest hallmark of maturity is the ability to adapt to change, and the uh, just the whole idea that you know a, a major life change, especially if it's something like you know, you're paralyzed or you have a heart attack or, you know, some, some, a stroke, something that's, that's going to really adjust, readjust your life in a massive way when people can uh, adapt to that, accept it and, and find a way to continue to, to grow and thrive and connect with people, all that kind of stuff. That's, that is a real, that's a, a challenge. And I think that's why, Honestly, they're some of the most inspirational stories we, we ever read. Yeah. Big time. Absolutely. You mentioned connection is huge. The contribution, that still find that meaning and purpose, and honoring those values that you have. That, yeah. Sure. Great quote. Yeah. Yeah. Adaptability is, is pretty big. I, and I think it goes without saying, but find outlets for all your feelings and for, you know, um, 
whatever they they are the loss anger if you're struggling kind of with mental health or but just um yeah just find people around you and if you don't have people around you you know see if you could reach out to talk with someone or um find whatever works for you uh because yeah it's not it's not easy um living with some of these injuries or some of these um chronic kind of diseases or illnesses and so yeah it's not an easy road so if you don't have to do it alone or just find uh find ways to express yourself so you're not bogged down great point Mm-hmm. There are a lot of support groups out there, and, and certainly, if you dare, online forums. <laughs> uh, sometimes those can be a little, you know, sometimes people read kind of worst case scenarios on, on some of the forums, but I've known a lot of folks who found some good connection uh, with others through that too. Yeah, and also, you know, some people really value connecting with people who know what they're going through or experiencing similar things. So those groups that you said, Ryan, would be that, right? Or someone that might know the their level of pain or know what it's like to have something taken away from you or dealing with some you know yeah ongoing kind of uh ailment so i think um that could be definitely beneficial great points brooke how'd we do i think we did pretty good it was a pretty open-ended ambush so Hmm? I, I, I enjoyed it. I think that was, uh, that was a true ambush. I wasn't expecting to talk about that tonight. Yeah, no kidding. Did you guys and, uh, think you knew what it was going to, did you have an idea? Every week's an ambush. <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to tell you what the other ideas were, but I don't because I'll probably write them down and use them. So Save them. That's right. You never know when you're in a pinch. Yeah. And suddenly your night, you need to have that ambush waiting for you mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and as we uh, alluded to earlier we'll do uh, we'll talk more about chronic pain next month we'll try yeah. to put something together be um, around our next book so tune in for that that's right that will be that'll be fun well all right guys i'm off to go uh wrap christmas presents so Ooh. so we got to sign off yeah, I got to wrap those gifts and put them in the mail, you know? It's going to take a little while for them to get up to us here in Canada, so. Yeah, yeah, those are, yeah, they'll be headed up there in an armored truck, just waiting. <laughs> Great. Well, okay, let us, uh, let us sign off for the evening then, and I'll go through my regular spiel. So please, if you will, like and subscribe. On Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. Send us your questions to infomentalbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend or two or an elf or a Canadian snow goose or a penguin or a gnome. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>